1: You are listening to Over the Influence. I'm your host, Arielle Laurie. I'll be talking to movers and shakers in the world of wellness and beyond, and people who have had their own interesting journey, whether it be physical, mental, spiritual, or professional. Thanks for joining. Let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast, or welcome to the podcast I feel like that's my intro every week so I need to get some new material here but for now let's just go with it. So I am really excited about today's episode. I have Justin Janoska who I found through Brianna DiOrio who is a rock star as you know if you listen to her podcast which was a few weeks back. So Justin is a clinician and the founder of the autoimmune revolution, which is an emerging company that guides women in their healing journey to reverse their autoimmune disease and reproductive disorder naturally with specific attention on Hashimoto's lupus, PCOS, and endometriosis. He holds a master's in human nutrition from the University of Bridgeport But he has a very different and unique approach that emphasizes mind-body medicine, which includes childhood trauma, early adult stress, Um, you'll hear us talking about some inner child work, and he just has a totally different approach than most practitioners that I've seen. Through his work with his clients, he helps them acquire a deeper understanding of how they got here. He supports them to be with their pain and embrace their truth. And he and his team are committed to revolutionizing how we address and heal autoimmune disease in women. And he's really doing amazing work. We had such a good conversation. We actually focused more on flexible dieting. He has a book coming out called The Flexible Diet Disaster. Um, And this is something that was important to me because if you've been following me for a long time on social media, you'll know that I had my own experience with flexible dieting. And um, at the time, I thought it was, I thought I was doing the right thing. And in hindsight, I see it very differently. And I see how it really negatively impacted me at the time and then followed me for a while after. And it's so prevalent. Nowadays, I did a poll on Instagram and asked people how many of them felt like they were afraid of food. And I think it was like 85% said they were. And for me, that food fear kind of came out of my flexible dieting. So it's different for everybody. This isn't necessarily to deter anybody from doing any of this. We're not saying it's inherently bad. It's different for everybody. So my goal with this podcast is to inform and inspire other people you guys the listeners to learn and and want to explore what works best for you and that's going to be probably different from what works best for me and the next person and it's really about exploration so without further ado Justin Janoska Okay, welcome Justin.
0: Hey. Hi. Nice to be here. How are you? Thank
1: you so much for coming on. I'm so excited to talk to you. I feel like I'm a Brianna DiOrio fan girl and then I found nice. you through her and you guys kind of have similar styles and you're always putting out like research and science and facts and you're passionate about it. So now I'm kind of Yeah, you're she, a fan girl too. <laughs> and also on a
0: whole new level too with that. So <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you just give everyone a brief background about you?
0: Yeah, of course. So I work with women who have reproductive disorders and autoimmune disease. That is literally the the crux of what I focus on with my clients. And I have a company called the autoimmune revolution and, you know, it encompasses those two areas. So PCOS, endometriosis, that sort of stuff. However, based around this discussion that we're going to have today, I started to weave in eating disorders, disordered eating, anxiety, um, past traumas, you know, that sort of thing as well, because it kept showing up a lot that would coexist with our clients with autoimmune disease, right? And I couldn't ignore it. So that I realized was being tied into a lot of what's going on in the fitness space with flexible dieting and macros. And so now it's not a big thing I focus on, but it's something that is really important, I think, because not a lot of people have shed a lot of light on the cons and downsides of flexible dieting macros. Um, not to say that it's not useful and not helpful. It absolutely is. It's got a lot of utility, but you know, there are pitfalls with it. And I think the consequences and the potential health ramifications are much more severe and untouched. And, you know, that's a big problem, I think, because it's breeding, honestly, it's feeding into chronic disease and autoimmune disease because I can see that, you know, so it becomes one vicious cycle. So I kind of try to cover a lot of areas, I think with what I do, but, um, it all kind of makes sense in my mind, but traditionally speaking, I got my master's degree in nutrition, which focused on, you know, functional medicine, um, at the, at the university of Bridgeport. And so, um, that was my first entry point into the autoimmune space. My mom on Hashimoto's. It's pretty much why I do this in the first place. Um, however, like I said before, I kept seeing a lot of these other issues show up with Hashimoto's and lupus and MS and stuff like that. And, you know, you got to treat, well, you got to address everything, I think, to the ability that I can. And so that's pretty much how I got here. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. it's interesting because I think um, you have a really holistic viewpoint of health, obviously. and when we get into it, you know, I think kind of what's at the core of counting macros, um, it's really issues about like self-worth and how we feel about ourselves and how we view ourselves, right? And you can't be healthy. And especially if you're struggling with something like autoimmune disease, right? If you're struggling with those issues as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, it's not as straightforward as this, but a lot of women uh, usually in the young 20s who do competitions and dieting you know they're they're really putting their body through the ringer and so it's not uncommon to see i actually see this more often than autoimmune disease but pcos you know they have the right genetic susceptibility to have that condition but you know for some people it's like one major st- stressful event whether it's dieting or competitions or over-exercise or something like that, or an emotional stressor that really tips them over the edge and overfills their bucket, and then they have full-blown, you know, health problems. Mm -hmm. So that can look like a lot of different ways, but, you know, I think uh, dieting can, in the long term, we're talking about not like three months of this, but, you know, years and years of dieting and never giving yourself a break is just, you know, it has a twofold effect. Um, One on your physical body and the emotional well-being as well and you know, it speeds right into it.
1: Right. You mentioned competition. Um, I have a lot of women that follow me who have done or do competitions. And I seem to get a lot of questions around that and around like, is it ever okay to put your body through that um, even just once and fully recover?
0: Yeah. And and so it's, it's a, there's a multifactorial answer to that because yes, you can get away with it because I see it all the time, right? People still can do that. But again, if you have certain weaknesses or shortcomings in your health already, you know, your your immune system's really compromised. You have, you know, genetic SNPs, whatever related to autoimmune disease or PCOS. And, um, you're just very sensitive to stress. Like you're not going to do well and your body's going to respond and, you know, show you its wrath. And we can choose at that moment to either surrender and move on or just keep ignoring our intuition and doing it anyway, which we mostly do, is just
1: reject it. Yeah, I never did a competition or anything like that, but I have my own experience with flexible dieting and counting macros. And I, I kind of thought that it was the answer. And, you know, I got my macros calculated for me by a stranger that I found on the internet. And this isn't to put that person down or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, they got my height and my weight and what I considered to be my activity level. And then they calculated it, you know, so it was based on math. It, it They didn't take into consideration any of my, you know, other factors like the fact that I have PCOS and my stress load and all of that. So... Um, initially I felt good because I think the way that I did it, I was eating a lot more frequently throughout the day. So maybe my blood sugar was a little more stable, but also Mm -hmm. I was losing weight because I was eating far too few calories and that in and of itself, I think was really exhilarating. Right. I mean, what woman doesn't want to lose weight? Probably not a whole lot of us. Um, and then, and then it became like, well, if I can, be achieving this aesthetic goal, eating this many calories, I can just bring them down a hundred or 200. And I started doing the math on myself and it got to the point where like you're saying, I was rejecting all of my body's cues. And I, I mean, by the end of it, I couldn't even work out. I had so many issues. My body was under so much stress. My hormones were completely out of whack um, I also had really bad gut issues at that time, which were probably, I'm sure it, there was a, uh, mm-hmm. correlation and, and I, I could not function and that's where it led me. Um, so that doesn't happen to everybody, but you know, what you, what you were saying about, um, rejecting those cues really resonates with me.
0: Well, you brought up a point real quick I meant to mention about the whole, You know kind of coach issue and the 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 context of the diet itself because dieting is one thing but like how you go about it is another and a a lot of the typical stereotypical scenarios that we see is the the young woman who hires somebody off instagram and he and she gets a you know 1100 maybe a thousand calorie or lower diet can't believe i'm saying that but it's the truth right and they have low carbs and you know we have Mm -hmm. food discrimination you know Food, good food list, bad food list. We count macros. We do meal prep. We do fasted cardio. We do. We spend hours and hours per day revolving around revolving around food and diet and exercise. And you know, we literally are just so consumed by that, and that is just going to dismantle our health mentally and physically over the long term. And so, like, there is a safer and easier way that doesn't cause so much restriction to get the same result. And you know, probably putting uh, competition aside a little bit because towards the end of like peak week, you have to do things differently. It's one exception, but outside of that, for the average fitness fiend, you see what happens. And that's kind of what my point here is, especially with the book that I'm releasing this month about how this is really causing a problem because it causes you to to be obsessed with macros um, because of what your coach has done to you. And that reinforces or causes physical and emotional stress that can then push you into emotional eating and compensatory behaviors and that leads to body image dissatisfaction and because you're probably just going to regain the weight back when you compensate and binge and then you're back on the dieting thing and it becomes one big cycle and I see that.
1: Yeah. And are we ever really satisfied <laughs> if we get to our goal? Is it ever enough? You know, I would I would argue not. <laughs> So, so when does it end?
0: Yeah. And the reason why it's not is because of two other reasons that I believe is because of our own unmet needs um, and feelings of inadequacy and unfulfillment and unworthiness from our childhood and trauma and stuff potentially. And also because social media influencers do that by just putting out their content and we are automatically gravitating towards that and, you know, having this inner dialogue of "Oh my God, I'm so fat!" Look at her; she's amazing, and doing the self and stuff,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Guilty, guilty is charged too. I mean, I was one of those influencers a couple years ago. <clears throat> I hope I'm not anymore, but yeah. I mean, it's it's kind of getting shoved down our throats everywhere we look, uh-huh. right? This right this impossible aesthetic. So, why don't we back up a little and just, in layman's terms, kind of explain what we mean by counting macros and, I guess, flexible dieting?
0: Sure. So we have uh, what's known as rigid dieting, which would be honestly what a lot of people have done in the past. And we've more, and that's, that includes just basically uh, exactly what it sounds like, having a good food list, bad food list, right? And you, it's very restrictive. You have to follow this to the T. The calories and the macros have to be exactly whatever they're, you know, uh, assigned to be macros and flexible dieting was kind of like a reprieve from that. And over the past, you know, she's, I don't even know, seven, eight, nine years. And, and so like, that's been really helpful for a lot of people because it allows that freedom in the sense that, well, as long as I have, as long as I am hitting my numbers, my 142 grams of carbs or my 35 grams of fat per day, or whatever, I can eat whatever I want within those, as long as it hits those numbers, I can eat whatever I want. Because <laughs> to, to, at the time we were thinking, and I think some people still have this belief that, you know, uh, a calorie is not a cal- you know, basically like the fact that, um, calories are created equal and they're not, you know? Right. And so that's a huge misbelief.
1: Like, a, like five calories or 500 calories of, you know, kale is the same as five hundred calories per right, right. minute.
0: Right. The biochemical effects are obviously vastly different for each things. So that kinda got us into the okay, we'll eat Pop Tarts. Literally, that's what people were doing. And this is maybe like five, six years ago, and I remember it on Twitter, but you know, let's see Pop Tarts and we'll still lose weight. And yeah, that might be achievable actually, but are you still healthy? Probably not. And that's, you know, the thing is that we have to think about our own health, you know, not just weight loss. Um and so, it, you know, the thing I talk about is that flexible dieting is a double-edged sword. It's great in a lot of ways, right? Because it offers that reprieve from rigid dieting, but it's also a disaster and causes a lot of issues because, um, you know, even still, and I'll tell you an example, of a client I've had recently with an eating disorder and anorexia. <clears throat> she told me that we basically determined that she would never eat a quote-unquote chi food, Right that, and some people honestly don't eat those. They don't eat donuts or ice cream or anything like that. It's quote unquote bad, even though they have the ability to. Mm -hmm. Right? They just, they prefer to eat healthy foods. And she told me that Mm -hmm. she would only eat those bad foods as long as she were counting macros because she knew that if she ate it, it wouldn't cause any detriment. Whereas if she did it off macro counting, she wouldn't, she wouldn't do it because that she would fear that she would gain weight. Like she doesn't trust her intuition. And that's a problem is making that transition. out of dieting If we're trying to be an intuitive eater, which we all should do, which we should do in general.
1: Yeah. I can absolutely relate to your client. I mean, that's exactly how I felt a couple of years ago. Um, I was so even posted on Instagram today, like right before our podcast, I went out and I got this like oatmeal, seed, nut date bar. I don't even know what, um, not, you know? you know, it's not unhealthy by any means. And I slathered it in almond butter and there, it was made fresh, you know, next door to my apartment. There were no macros or anything. And like, I was reflecting back on a couple of years ago and that would have like terrified me. I never would have eaten that ever. <laughs> um, Or I would have tried to like mm-hmm. input the recipe and figured out how I could fit it in. And, and yeah, I, I mean, it, there's so much food fear Um, even when you are doing something like flexible dieting, I'm curious though. Um, couldn't somebody argue that flexible dieting is more sustainable and therefore a better option than rigid dieting?
0: Oh, absolutely. And that was kind of what I was alluding to. I think, you know, it it is very helpful and it gets people out of that sort of structured way of eating. Um, and that's great. But, you know, my whole thing is, and I see this more, and I see this more so over the years that it just becomes an obsession where we can't stop it. And I, and there's something that I talk about, um, a lot, which is the, the cognitive eating, eating below, excuse me, cognitive, um, eating roadblock. So no matter how much food freedom you have, you still have the inability to detach from counting macros. It's still in your head. It's like, this becomes habitual practice. That leaves like an indelible mental mark, and you can't be, and you can't erase it. And I know that because I've been there myself when I did macro counting. And so to me, that's a problem. If you're trying to disassociate from macros and flexible dieting, and you're out eating with friends at a restaurant, but yet in your head you're like looking at the plate, okay, that's probably like 31 grams of carbs. That one's probably like 15 grams of fat, you know. And you're 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 basically You've downloaded My Fitness Pal in your head. Maybe delete it off your phone, but it's still in your head. And you're just calculating, and that's still disordered eating, right? And I don't really care whether it's a classical, you know, diagnosis of an eating disorder or not. It's still a problem. because That disordered eating can, you know, turn into a full-blown eating disorder, I think.
1: Right. And, I mean, it's not classified as a full-blown eating disorder, but it's also fairly new, right? <laughs> so. Yep, exactly. Um, you talk about... The, the, a huge problem is in how we get to flexible dieting to begin with. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, why we diet in the first place is a question we need, we need to ask ourselves. Why are you dieting? Right. And for a lot of us, we think we know, but we don't. And at the root of it all, I believe that a lot of people have just, um, have this feeling of body image dissatisfaction and even the research shows this, right? So people who have body image dissatisfaction, you know, move into flexible dieting or rigid dieting. And then that's where that whole cascade of disordered eating habits and eating disorders kind of um, come out. But I think people have body image dissatisfaction because of just their childhood and or social media it's really one of those two, and I've seen them both, right? So social media influences like I talked about before, can create this belief that, you're, that I'm not good enough because she's a lot better than I am and I need to lose weight, right? Um, we want to feel like we're a part of a tribe, right? We want to feel like we're, we belong somewhere. And if their tribe looks a lot better than ours, well, that's what, what do we need to do in order to get that, right, to be a part of that. Um and yet, ironically, <laughs> the influencers out there have their own insecurities and past traumas and issues that they haven't worked through themselves, and they're also trying to fit in somewhere else so it's it's one big what I call the influencer um hypocrisy paradox, right? so
1: yeah, I was gonna say like when when you're like posting half naked ass shot photos <laughs> on the internet, like there's probably something going on inside
0: well well. yeah i mean that narcissism has to stem from somewhere you know if that's i'm not saying you do one photo and you're just automatically like narcissistic no but like you do it all the time and and there's a lot of people that do this and i've seen it like just very little value in their captions it's like just kind of basically doing it for themselves instead of for their audience and so you know even though they look great they still have their own Body image dissatisfaction, and that's just like a distorted view of, of life, right? And where does that come from? Probably their childhood, and you know their and, and adverse experiences they went through, whether being whether whether being physical uh, neglect, emotional neglect, or physical or emotional abuse, right? So, um, yeah, and this is this this is definitely in the research as well, but I I seen this with clients, and so that body image satisfaction is. And healing that is exactly what needs to be looked at, not the diet, not the fact that we need to, you know, diet better or in the right way, but we need to see why we're dieting in the first place and then um, heal the wounds that are deep within us that we've ignored for so long.
1: Yeah. I was reading your website and there was this sentence. You said, if you're dieting, tracking macros, and in an endless pursuit for a dream that does not complement your other pillars in life but instead disintegrates your social, spiritual, and personal health, then you need to have an honest reevaluation of your priorities and how much your body image plays a role in the quality of your life. Yeah. And that was like, wh- I mean, hit me like a ton of bricks. I mean, you never think about how your body image plays a role in the quality of your life and how how far its tentacles reach, right? Like personal, spiritual, social, it really does Affect and, like you said, disintegrate. Mm-hmm. Such a powerful way to put it. So, you talk about self-love being the antidote to all of this. But if somebody finds themselves here, how can they? How can they reevaluate, and how can they try to make changes?
0: If they find themselves where, just like understand.
1: If they find themselves at a point where their social, spiritual, personal health is. Affected by their body image and the role that it's playing in the quality of their life. If somebody's like counting macros and they they're listening to this and they realize, like, shit, this might not be <laughs> this might not be serving me.
0: Well, you know, like I, I kind of mentioned it, but like you have to you have to step back a bit, right? And the the posing question I raise to a lot of people is, um, to my clients rather is, well, ask yourself, how did I come to be this way? right? How did I come to be this way? Like, what is my story, right? Why do you Mm -hmm. think, why do I think I end up here? I ended up here having this illness, having this disease, having this eating habit, having, you know, these challenges and emotions that I experience every day. And the thing is, we're just like, it's subconscious stuff. So we don't really access it unless we try to. And that comes back to really mindfulness meditation, doing all, all those sort of things that we all know about, but we don't do it right. It's very, it's a very simple concept, but it's very hard to implement. And so it's, it's really, it's a narrative medicine. And this is like kind of what I really focus on with my clients is mind body medicine and and really seeing how they got here because without awareness, we can't do anything. And honestly, sometimes the awareness alone is, is the ability to detach and and escape, right? From these self-defeating behaviors, Right. But that's also part of what dieting is. It, is it's, it's ca- I think it's part of the you know category of self defeating, self sabotage behaviors in a way. <laughs> Even though we're thinking that it's doing you a favor, right? Because it also fits in with with binging and right. eating food and drugs and opioids and alcohol and whatever, right? These are all automatic patterns that we have um, de- developed as a result of the stories and beliefs that we've had about our life that are stemming from these buried, unreconciled, unprocessed emotions. And it just so happens that dieting happens to be one of those behaviors. Right?
1: Yeah. So, so what would you say is, I mean, how do you go about breaking the cycle?
0: Yeah. I wish that was a simple answer. I mean, there are a lot of things that a lot of tools and techniques that we use, but um, the, the simple, the quick answer to that is really trying to learn how to sit down and, and be still for a moment and, you know, practice meditation so you can cultivate awareness, right? That's where, that's really how you get better at it. Cause I know, cause I've been there myself, but when you can do that, then you can start to piece together your, your history and see about, you know, so one of the things I, I talk about a lot is the uh, biography, biology, timeline, and that's something where you just kind of think about: well, at what age did I have this event, major event going on in my life? Think about the major stories and um, traumatic experiences, whatever that you know that you that you have because you remember it. You know, that went on. What age? How old were you then? And then, when did this sort of behavior? When did the eating issues show up? When did the binging show up? When did the you know the purging show up? When did the you know crazy two hours of gym sessions show up. Right. And then what were the emotions that you think were circulating in your head at that time? Right. So that's, that's literally the first thing we have to do because I can't tell you what to do. And that's in fact, no one really can, no one can really tell you how to break the cycle, but you what we're doing here is guiding people, or I am trying to say to people, I want you to, I want to guide you to open up and listen inside and support you to be with your pain and embrace your truth. Right? Right. So seeing your truth and seeing with seeing it with new eyes, right? It's not what's happening to us. It's how we relate to what's happening to us. Nothing changes in your life except for how you look at it. So we are really trying to bring them home and, and to their true and authentic self. And oftentimes just that awareness alone is what allows them to break free from it. Um, but even that is still kind of simplistic. You need to do other things sometimes, um, depending on the context. But I mean, that's for the for the listener, that's the, the simplest and most, you know, practical thing that you can do now is try to piece this out and see like what happened, you know, because all of this happened for a reason. It didn't just happen because it felt like it, you know.
1: What kind of meditation do you do? Mm.
0: So I, you know, I do a couple different ones, not just the basic focus on your breath type stuff, but loving kindness meditations, a favorite of mine that I like to use a lot. I do guide imagery with my clients We do, you know, child work. We do, um, yeah, th- those are the the big ones I, I would say we do. Um, th- there are a lot of different styles within that, but it's, it's, I think having, uh, a sort of practice where you have an inner advisor or somebody that you look up to as a hero, your grandmother, you know, you know, a fictional character, whoever, you know, I think of honestly, like, you know, um, (laughs) like grandma, grandmother Willow in the Pocahontas, right. That tree that talks to her. Like I think of that, you know, like I think having something like that in your meditation is really powerful, especially when you're trying to heal your wounds, because imagine you had some, you have somebody in front of you, a little girl who um, just got slung by a bee or something, and you do nothing about it, right. And she just learns that that's just pain. And, you know, she makes up a story about it. A lot of us are, are wounded internally. And there's a wounded child in all of us, and probably in our parents too, which is what which is why we behave the way we do because of them. Right. And so, one of the things that we can do is try to communicate with that wounded child and tell her that the the, basically the the younger version of yourself, the five-year-old version of you, right. And say, you're going to be okay. And in the same sense that grandmother or the 95 year old tree you're talking to is going to say those same sort of messages to you. Right. Because you we all know that if we were to ask our grandmother, you know, how to help us, they're going to have, all the, all the right words to say. Right. Yep. And so that's in, this, in the same way we're trying to do that to our younger version of ourselves. That's a very healing, uh, very powerful and healing um, sort of thing you can do. Um, but it, it's, just, it's, it's very tricky and sensitive for people because it, it, it really gets to the heart of the wound and it's, it's not easy to do, but it's just something you gently got to touch every now and then and see what you can make of it
1: yeah, I did some of that um, you know, I'm very vocal about my sobriety and uh-huh. I did a lot of therapy, a lot of rehab <laughs> when I finally got sober this time and I did inner child work and um, yeah it's very it's powerful power. yeah uh-huh. and then I you know I I started doing I dabbled in meditation and then a year ago I started doing TM and um, that was really huge for me, something that it did other than teaching me how to like sit with my emotions and my past and my present and all of that, um, and be accepting. It definitely attuned me more to my body. And I felt like it kind of happened at the right time because it was after I stopped counting macros and I was trying to figure out how to eat intuitively because so much of my eating was all of my eating was driven by emotions prior to that. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and, and yeah, I, I really became more adept at identifying like hunger cues and just trusting my body.
0: And that's a thing too, right? So I fell into this trap. I think that we can just be mindful eaters and practice that and, you know, do food journaling and listen to our our five senses and stuff. And that's helpful, right? But it's still like a band-aid at the end of the day. If you have not dealt the emotions that underlie that, <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. They're going to keep coming up. Right. right. Manifesting in different ways. <laughs> so what would you say to people who are unhappy with their bodies and they, they want to change it? I mean, in some circumstances, that's okay. Right. How does one go about doing that in a healthy way?
0: So the thing I say is, you know, diet, because, you love yourself, not because you hate yourself. Mm -hmm. And you you, only, you will know the answer to that. So if you believe that you're going to diet and it's going to achieve some outcome and you get there and you're still unsatisfied, then you're probably doing it for the wrong reasons. Right. And you're continuing to follow this and it's one like perpetual pursuit, but you have to be honest and have awareness of any sort of, you know unprocessed emotions that might be the reason why it's why you're why you're dieting right because a diet plan you know is or, or the right coach or whatever is not going to be the answer to this you know we should be okay with eventually where we are and accept our body for what it is we should accept it even if we are as healthy as could be mentally and spiritually right and we are 100 pounds overweight we should still be able to be okay with ourselves and accept ourselves right a lot of this i'm not going to go off on a tangent too much but a lot of people are in this fitness self-development world are like self-love this self-love that and Mm -hmm. it's still almost like a lie because if you don't accept yourself for who you are then it's almost like you're not really loving yourself (laughs) so that's it's one of these things that you have to you have to have both so it begins with self-acceptance in my opinion and when you do that, then then self love follows. But you know, if we're just saying we need to love ourselves, and that will be our our answer to you know successful weight loss and not having um, any more emotional pain, maybe tied to it, then it's see how far that gets you. You know, but you got to look to see what else might be you know lingering in the background, and if you can authentically, mm-hmm. truthfully say that i accept and love myself unconditionally then you should then i would say you permission and i'm not telling you what to do but you permission to diet right you can do that because nothing should change at the end of the day you just do it because you love yourself and you want to do it right that's why i think dieting for person i'm sorry uh competing for a personal pursuit is fine if everything is solid In other areas of your life but if it's like a done deal if you don't get first place and you self sabotage as a result and you think all your worth is hinging off your body then you're dieting for the wrong reason does that make sense
1: yep yeah totally so radical radical acceptance
0: yeah right
1: (laughs) i love it okay so let's get to a few questions um I had a lot of people ask this, actually. Are your, what are your thoughts on intermittent fasting? Is that another unhealth, unhealthy cycle that can um, lead to eating disorders?
0: You know, I don't think so. I mean, I use it periodically with some of the clients that we have that have insulin resistance and blood sugar issues and stuff like that. It's, it's really therapeutic in that sort of way and also from an inflammatory standpoint as well. Uh, that's mostly why I use it, not so much for weight loss. Because the evidence that it is more superior than than regular feeding every two or three hours is not there. So there's no added benefit. Honestly, I did it for four years and I loved it. You know, I just I, I felt really good. And not everybody can get 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 away with that. If you're hypoglycemic, it's not a good idea to do that.
1: Yeah, I tried doing it briefly, and it did not feel. It didn't feel right for me. I don't Mm -hmm. know if it's because of my hormones. I know it's, it can be tougher for women, especially with hormone imbalances. I mean, would you tell, would you tell a client with PCOS to steer clear?
0: No, I actually recommend it for PCOS a little bit. Really? If they're, if they're, yeah, yeah. Because they're, they're mostly insulin resistant. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. um, That will be something that we'll use. And again, it's not something that I push on anybody. I'm like, hey, like, I think this will help you if you're willing to do it. Give it a shot. And let's see if we can push back meal one by an hour and see how you do. And then over time, you just keep pushing it back a little bit more and more. And you get like, you know, whatever, a 16-hour fasting window going. And, you know, they start to be able to handle it. But it's it's a short-term thing anyway. Like, I don't expect them to do it forever. And it wouldn't probably be realistic either. So yeah, it's just one of the things that we'll use, but yeah, especially with people like, um, like that, and maybe even, you know, diabetes a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, that's when I think intermittent fasting has the best, um, utility.
1: Interesting. I need to get you back on to talk PCOS. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, okay. Can you talk yourself into the food you eat, making you sick?
0: Oh, great question. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, and the reason why is so. For example, we get I get questions all the time, um, or or really just statements saying that they ate this food and they think it's it's causing their constipation or the bloating, right? It's causing this skin reaction. Mm-hmm. And actually, this happened the, the other week with a client of mine, and I said, "Okay, what were the emotions around it? Were you having, you know?" Stress, are you anxious, are you frustrated, whatever? Did you go into believing that it would cause problems? Because honestly, you manifest the outcome you anticipate. If you think that X food is going to cause this problem, yeah, you're going to make it happen. Right. And that's, that's, that's because our emotions can do that. And so you that's a very possible reality that can happen. So if you think of food, and that doesn't, this does not absolutely negate the fact that. The food itself can be, you know, a problem at a biological level or, or, or cellular level, right? It can absolutely still do that, and you can say this food isn't going to bother me at all. I'm going to have, you know, perfect health, just like it was yesterday when I eat this food, and still have problems. But if, you, if you're believing that it's going to be an issue, you're just basically compounding the problem <laughs> or creating one that never would have happened anyway if you didn't think mm-hmm. that way.
1: Yeah, I can attest to that. I had you know, I, I'm very, I talk about my gut issues a lot. And last year I was like kind of on this gut healing journey and I was avoiding a lot of foods and I, there are definitely certain things that when I eat them, I don't feel great. Um, uh-huh. But like, I think it was a couple of weeks ago I was eating, I was devouring an almond butter. Like I had two jars in like three days <laughs> and I was so good. And like, I was having it on apples or whatever. I didn't notice anything, and then when I looked at the ingredients, um, it was like a raw almond butter, but it had a few ingredients in it that I've been avoiding for over a year, and mm. I I didn't notice. I mean, I didn't feel any different, and it was just kind of interesting. I I thought, kind of like what you just said, you know. I think the the fear and the expectation and the anxiety around it maybe was at least lending itself to the reaction that I had previously.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yep.
1: Can counting macros or dieting cause fluid retention or weight gain?
0: Um, Well, that's more attributed to the food, you know, not, not the act of counting macros, right. Unless you,
1: what about the stress around it?
0: you you know, your BMR, um, stress. Yes, absolutely. Right. So like, that's, I think honestly, that's what most people are dealing with because if you're really anxious and stressed out through this daily life and honestly, even the, the untouched stuff in your subconscious mind, that could be, yeah, it could be there, but you know, really with modern daily living and kind of how we're like OCD and type A and like overcommitted all the time. Yeah, that's going to wreak havoc on your gut because we know that stress will, over the long term, it'll, you know, impair thyroid metabolism and and functionality there. It'll deal with, it'll impair, you know, stomach acid production and uh, even enzyme output and bile secretion, all these things that you need to have to assimilate and digest food. So if you're not doing that, then that's how you can get bloating and constipation and all these other, you know, GI issues, right? So that's why, that's honestly why, a quick tip here, that's why you want to do some di- diaphragmatic breathing for like two or three minutes before you eat a meal if you're really stressed out because that's going to stimulate your vagus nerve and, and basically activate your enteric nervous system, which is like its own entity in your gut. And that's going to allow for peristalsis and the movement and contraction of your bowels to have it move through and not cause this IBS stuff that you're maybe experiencing.
1: Mm-hmm. How does one do diaphragmatic breathing?
0: Well, it's just like you do in yoga or meditation, right? It's just breathing through your nose for like five, six seconds, right? And then exhaling slowly for about the same duration. Um, Some might even do box breathing, which is like you're holding um, for, you know, you're holding it in the expansion, expanded position, and also in the deflated position as well. And it's just, again, it's just calm you down and get into your parasympathetic mode. And, you know, when you can do that, honestly, the, the power is, it's so powerful, like it literally will, um, make the positive changes you want to have like instantaneously. So just got to do it. <laughs> that's, you know, that's it.
1: Okay. I'm doing that my next meal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do boxed breathing before sleep sometimes. And it's like, I don't know, for me, it's more powerful than like any drug <laughs> or supplement or anything. Oh, for sure. Yeah. You never did competitions, did you?
0: No, I didn't. Okay. because i didn't care for it it wouldn't change anything for me <laughs> getting a trophy wouldn't change anything.
1: but you did count macros
0: yeah i mean i i got to like uh, you know I, I was really interested to see how lean i could get in my life and i did that like five years ago maybe and it was cool i did it i'm like hey bored, done <laughs> so you know just a challenge yourself that's really all i was for but no i didn't i didn't want to compete didn't care
1: and did you have like what you were talking about earlier? Did those numbers trail you when you stopped or no, because your motive was in the right place?
0: Yeah. I'll, I'll, yeah. I mean, so honestly, I, I struggled for like a maybe five, six months after that. Um, like counting in my head. That's why That's why I call it the cognitive eating roadblock because we, we all do. It and I know it. We just don't talk about it because I did that. And I still, yeah, I was kind of like, okay, I'm done dieting, but I'm gonna still count anyway. But why? Just to maintain. And it's not gonna happen. You're not gonna maintain a four percent body fat. <laughs> so I was like, you know, being really stupid. And um, yeah, I, I was a little bit more relaxed with it in my eating, but I was still like kind of nervous. So it wasn't I wasn't like fully committed to detaching from it. And that didn't happen until I was like really certain that I needed to, you know. Basically, achieve something else, and and understand that my my actions were having um, sort of a negative effects on my family, my friends, and my social life, mm-hmm. and all that, all of those things. You know, yeah, the wake up call, basically.
1: So, how can people find you, and how can people work with you?
0: Sure. So, uh, the team that we have is the autoimmune dot com, and. That's what I've created. And so like we have divided it up in the sense that there's, because we focus primarily on PCOS and Hashimoto's. Um, we have, we have programs for them that are like nothing else. And they work so well because it's different from what doctors do and all those things. So if you've had tried a lot of things and nothing has worked and then you should go check out those pages, see what we put out there and testimonials of women who have been through the program. Otherwise, outside of that, I work with, um, I do work with people who just have, you know, different issues outside of it. So that includes mold toxicity, Lyme disease, multiple sclerosis, lupus, uh, psoriasis, Crohn's, inflammatory bowel disease mostly. And even eating disorders, I do still do those um, because we work through the stuff that we just talked about today. And yeah, and that's basically what I focus on. Um, but yeah, the website, the com, Instagram for me is, um, at Justin Janoska, J-A-N-O-S-K-A. And that's if you just want to creep around and, and see all the content i put out related to the sort of uh, information.
1: Yeah. There's so much good content there. Like you were talking about earlier, there's a lot of value. Yeah. <laughs> it's not just gym selfies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah thank you <laughs> um yeah so thank you so much. I think this is gonna be really really helpful. You know, I can't even tell you how many messages I get every day from people saying they're eating five hundred calories and still not losing weight and uh, wanting to know the right macro numbers and it's really kind of disheartening sometimes so i I hope you know I hope the listeners can take something away from this and Yeah. Thank you again.
0: Oh, no, thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: All right. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I enjoyed it. I feel like some of these conversations that I've been having the last few weeks have really been paradigm shifting for me and they've kind of just opened my eyes and made me see things in a different light and it's expanding my understanding of some of these topics and wellness as a whole. And and I hope it's doing the same for you. And I hope that you walk away from this feeling informed and empowered to make decisions based on what you're learning and based on what you're feeling and less so on maybe what you're seeing just in our society as a whole or on social media, all of that. So before I go off on a tangent, since I've already kept you guys for an hour, I'm going to leave it there and see you guys next week.